0: We? Well, we
1: are. Yeah, apparently we are we? recording.
0: <laughs> we. <laughs> you damn
1: right. <laughs> that's the that's the wrong bit. All right. Oh, now it's time to get on to the Patreon shoutouts. Stick
2: the cock long way.
1: In my <laughs> opemiums or maybe not, brother. <laughs> right.
0: I'm keeping Hamburger up. or hot dog style? yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> fuck the WWE. <laughs> I'm keeping this in by the way. No way. It is time to tune up the band and scream Brett's name down the hallway for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dad and Melee Hellbot this week as we continue our journey for the wacky world of professional wrestling. How are you chaps doing this week? We're all I, good. Uh, so. I'm so happy. Mm, Hell um, yeah. yeah.
3: I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why in my recommendations.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, again, you're teasing oh, us. Oh yeah, brother! Bro, bro. well, stop this, dude! <laughs> Dangling the carrot of hope in in, in, mm-hmm. in my in my direction. I can't take it anymore. No, it's been a bit of a it's been <laughs> a bit of a week for me. Honestly, I I won't go into details about it, but I've had a bit of a stressful first week of the year. <laughs>
3: you know what? 2025 is your year.
1: I know, yeah, right?
0: I know, right? We're just committing really, really early to it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh,
0: it's I heard I heard long term booking.
1: <laughs> yeah, re- Well I'll, I'll say this the <laughs> yeah, story. I was gonna say, it's been eleven years this long term booking dad and I've fucking had enough of it to be quite <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, the moment's coming, you're gonna get the push. The I, cinema. I know. I've, am I getting? Am I this is, get... this is this is this is keynote. I was going to say, you, am I getting the Kofi push where I spend it there for an allotted amount of time until until finally I get that one opening.
0: Eventually, it will happen, basically, but I can't tell
1: you when. Basically, I've got to make sure that melee Hellbot's injured on his push so that I can slide <laughs> in and get my push instead.
3: Yeah. and somehow, some way, Daniel Bryan's evolved.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> but no apart from that i've actually i've i've been i've been i've been all right for the most part it has just been quite a bit of a stressful week first week of the year a lot of things Mm -hmm. happening a lot of year-end videos are coming out a lot of interesting videos from peeps are coming out very soon which i'm excited about but trying to find the time to do anything has been crazy um yes Realising that I have a backlog of books and Switch games has been um it's not making my mental health any better. And realizing that Tears of the Kingdom is right there and I still have barely played it is um is criminal. I know you have every right to chew me out for that melee.
3: Cancel Sam. You heard it here.
1: <laughs> hey, at least I'm not an orange face former president of the United
0: States. <laughs> that much is true what the had doing?
1: because i have long slender fingers
0: Whoa. that was really the worst thing i think i could have heard <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, think it's here. I mean i could have done it right up close to the mic but i i'd rather save our listeners from that if i'm gonna be completely honest oh my i'm i feel the better for all of that welcome to sweet chinwag <laughs> asmr <laughs> The, scratch that fuzzy part of your brain that needs everything. We are,
0: we are never doing an ASMR stream, and if we are doing
1: an ASMR stream, I will not be there. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I feel like Amaranth's got that market down pat, and then again, she's got everything yeah. down pat most of the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms, especially the ones that are the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. You know, guys, <laughs> even
3: though that the universe seems to always be changing, sometimes for the worse, we're going to always be pending, and always will be.
1: Especially with the news this week, yeah, 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 I'm right there with you, Mela. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So, before we get on to a, I feel like a much long Long overdue episode all about the Hitman. It is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling
3: news. (gasps) (laughs) Wrestling news.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah, man. Um, There have been things going on, but the only thing I really want to talk about is uh, the new TNA belts because they look great.
3: Yes, like, sir. genuinely
0: the best title design I've seen in recent wrestling history past, we're like, back. I don't know, like... Oh, we are so bad. Well, like, like mm-hmm. the, like, the AEW world title, mm. <laughs> realistically, it was, like, the last reveal where we were like, yeah, this, this is good.
1: Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, course, I mean, there were a few others. Really, really, really love... <laughs> the The designs for this for this belt and it's just if memory serves me correct the person who actually ended up designing these new TNA championships I believe got their start as a 2k uh, as a 2k uh, community creator of title belts something like that mm-hmm.
0: but again yeah. like they're, they're, that's the kind of person I want designing my belts <laughs> Real. So that's- if, they, if, they can, if they can figure out that kind of stuff with the 2K creator tools, which, by the way, are a whole thing in themselves.
2: <laughs>
0: like, if they can figure out how to make nice looking belts on that, then they can do that shit in real
1: life. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. it shows. I, I, I can't. I don't have a personal favorite because honestly, all of them are really. really Really, like, so good looking. Like, all right. Granted, I know, I know a lot of people have pointed out that the X Division Championship has a giant mustache, but that's neither here nor there. Um, that makes it better. That makes it yes. Thank you, melee. It makes it a hell of a lot better. What I really do love about the, all of these title designs is the TNA logo front and center in all of them. Yeah. Yeah. They
0: they get they manage to get the logo on and not like but they're not even like
1: not as garish or as corporate <clears throat> as the WWE titles are you know mm-hmm. cuz they get they get the, they get the logo
0: in but they're not like as egregious
1: yeah it's it's night. it's such a sleek um uh design to each title each in- well mm-hmm. the world titles in especially incorporating the globe as well is just ah amazing touch um mm-hmm. I love the fact that we get the big X with the X Division title back. As mm, well. Sure. And you know what? I actually don't mind the digital media championship either.
3: I I only have issues with who's holding it.
1: Exactly. I was gonna, I was gonna
0: say that that's my only <laughs> issue with it. It's a belt that is not designed for the person holding it. <laughs> you damn right. Preferably it's designed for anyone who has Anyone who looks like they actually understand the concept of what a social media is. Mm-hmm.
1: and I don't know. I know a lot of people were knocking the red strap for the tag titles, but for me... Yeah, fuck you, yeah, chair. Yeah, fuck you, chair. Uh, I like the red strap design, honestly, on, like on it, the too. tag mm-hmm. championships.
0: Differently coloured straps on belts is good, and anyone who argues is just trying to hinder creativity.
1: Knockouts mm-hmm. championship,
0: don't, though. I think that... <laughs>
1: i love i think i think honestly the knockouts world championship might be my favorite it's great it is great it just suits trinity really well as well which is even more upsetting when you've considered the fact that she's probably leaving after hard to kill
0: i really hope not but like
1: (laughs) but yet here we are and it makes me sad guys it makes me real sad yeah, because she's had an incredible year at that company. Um, but thing is, like, I, 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 mean, I don't blame TNA if it's the thing of, well, we can't compete with the money they're offering her, so we're gonna, we've yeah. got no choice but to. Hmm.
3: As long as she's happy.
1: Exactly. That's that's the main thing. That is the main thing. As long as she's happy doing it, and as long as as long as she gets um, under the under the direction of Triple H, it isn't oh. isn't as fucking screwed as she was with the tag titles which which (laughs) caused her to leave the first time around then i'd be happy yeah you know
3: you know kevin dunn's not there anymore you know
1: no yeah yeah, that's true Mm -hmm. that's true talking of that the person who's coming in to replace him is uh, a former production member of espn and apparently that's got everybody backstage upset uh, mostly because there are a couple of uh candidates that look like they could have taken over from the reins, a couple of really talented guys within the production space uh, of-, of WWE, uh, that could have taken over, but there's also the worry that he'll uh, the new employee or the new head of um production will kind of bring their own people in,
0: and uh, to which I yeah. say.
1: Yeah, I can understand that to a certain degree, but at the same time, it's like <clears throat> there does need to be change. And if people, I was going to say, mm-hmm. if there are people that were stuck with the Kevin Dunn mindset, maybe it is best for yeah. other people to come in and come in with fresh ideas.
3: Mm-hmm. Bring back the eight K camera.
1: I didn't mind, like, legitimately. I did not mind the eight K camera. <clears throat> maybe because it's that 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 filmmaking part of me. That absolutely thought that the that the depth of field mm-hmm. in focus actually brought something that was very very different and actually kind of visually appealing to entrances. I mean, yeah, I like the Roman Reigns entrance looked far better with that depth of field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but
0: why by the giant bronze CGI Roman?
1: The bond CGI Roman gives me nightmares. <laughs> whats oh, my uh... dreams. <laughs> I was going to say, especially the one from last year's WrestleMania, where he was outside of SoFi Stadium, literally like Godzilla going, "Ooh, <laughs> yeah, real." Uh, <laughs> I'm just waiting for Paul Heyman bronze CGI go going. What are you doing?
2: <laughs> what are you doing?
1: <laughs> Never.
0: Oh, Brock. Oh, Brock. What are you doing? <laughs> you, you get a bronze CGI. <laughs> you get a bronze. CGI. It's a bronze CGI. You
3: don't you don't need CGI for Brock. It's just him.
0: It's just him, going, <laughs> What? <laughs> it's, it's just him. <laughs> just, a, just They just project giant uh, they just project a giant version of that picture of Brock eating cheeseburgers <laughs> into the sky.
1: No, I was just saying it should be this, shouldn't it? It just should be this on loop. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a shark. A <laughs> shark. <laughs> oh man! I tell ya, uh, I you, I mi- I miss the days of like the the ruthless aggression ads for fucking pay per views when they had Brock Lesnar f ing a shark and doing West Side Story for the Royal Rumble. We used <laughs> we 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 used to be a nation. you yeah. <laughs> you damn right, we used to be. What, what the hell happened that? to this
0: company? <clears throat> um, is there anything else that we want to cover? I feel like we covered most of the stuff that we want to actually want to talk about.
1: Hard to kill. That's coming up. Looking forward to seeing yeah. that and what mm-hmm. the, what entails after the uh, after that. Um, Scott Demore do the right thing and keep Alex Shelley as the world champion.
0: We need we need to know how back we are.
1: Jeff Jarrett appears. No, we're oh, we are no, 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 too far, too
0: far, too far, too far.
1: I was going to say, we can't, we can't have total non-stop arseholes in total non-stop action, yeah? <laughs> Real. Uh, apart from that, of course, AEW Homecoming happened. Um, it's nice to see Daly's place once more. It's weird to see the LED. They've gone with the WWE style of production and set design with the LED walls. I, myself, aren't too convinced with like the it. way it looked. I didn't like it myself. Thank you, Melee. Give me my goddamn what? tunnels. Mm-hmm. Exactly, I I I don't mind the tunnels. Give me the tunnels for fuck's sake, Tony. <laughs> I really, as I said, really did did like uh, the homecoming matches uh, matches on dynamite. Uh, we had Hangman and Claudio Castagnoli with, in a with, in a 17 minute barnstormer. Uh, right. The Brody Lee Memorial Tag Match was 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 a lot of fun. Uh, the Texas Tornado match, though, the main event, the Don Callis family and Sting and Darby Gallon was, was fucking based, at Sting, at 64 years old, doing a Scorpion death drop, off a ledge <clears> into <throat> a table to powerhouse hops.
0: Bro, it's oh. when we were there, we were seeing It's the retirement year, but goddamn, Sting be going crazy. <laughs>
1: it's just a shame that his last match will be against the Young Bucks, though. Who? <laughs> Oh, sorry, but the, the mustachio box, I should say um, at this point.
3: Put, you know what? Put him against Nick Gage as his last match. <laughs> I,
1: think, uh, I hear it, bro. The vision. Nick Gage and Zandig, because Sting only wants to do tag matches. Oh, my now. God.
3: <laughs> yeah, and bring Sting for the Tournament of Death.
1: Yes!
0: <laughs> the concept of Darby Allin versus Zandig is a wild concept. That can't be allowed to happen.
3: Zero brain cells between them.
0: I was going to say, there's going to be literally zero brain <laughs> There's going to be zero brain cells before and e- somehow even less b- afterwards. I fell. <laughs>
1: Jesus! I'm <laughs> uh... <laughs> oh, sorry, no, that, that's not the way the song goes, is it? I'm sting.
3: <laughs> Jesus.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, please. <Yes>. Anyway. <laughs> with that, though, we're done with the news. <laughs> Lovely jubbly. Recommendation corner. I have one this week. Uh, I'll start with mine so I can get uh, so so I can like butter up melee for his recommendations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um my one is the YouTube channel Cinema Therapy. I've been Ooh. kind of more in-depth te- in into their uh, channel as of late. But basically what they are, they're two lifelong best friends that sit there and watch movies. One of them is a licensed therapist and the other one is a filmmaker. And they basically just go over the psychology of certain characters, certain films, um, heroes, villains, through basically a whole bunch of films. They've done everything from lord of the rings to the matrix to indiana jones to the most recent one they did which was a whole breakdown of of, uh wally as well which by the way if you ask me is pixar stills pixar's best film i mean there's a reason there's a reason why wally's on the criterion collection guys (laughs) (laughs) such a good movie such a good film. I uh, highly recommend if you're gonna go watch Cinema Therapy, watch that, m- watch that one on Wally. It is really, mm. really freaking good. Oh. They also did a fantastic one on Barbie as well. So highly nice. recommended is Cinema Therapy for anyone who is currently going through therapy or has been in therapy, like me. <laughs> you
3: know what? Given the concept of that channel, I can't wait for for them to review uh, minus one. Hmm. That sounds like fun.
1: That's one I I, I really want them to do one on minus one because I feel like it definitely does deserve like a little like a, a really in depth breakdown into the psychology of the whole thing. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I would love to see that one for sure. Anyway, melee, the floor is yours, sir. What recommendations have you got this week,
3: guys? What do you feel about comics?
1: I love comics. Pretty good.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, you see, I certain people will know that I live in. Nova York and as such my favorite superhero of all time has to be Spider-Man <gasps> Spider-Man <And> got <laughs> me precious Spider-Man so my recommendation has to be Jonathan Hickman's Ultimate Spider-Man issue one that just came out a few days ago Ooh. now for me I well I mostly keep myself, like, private with my, uh, with my thoughts, but lately, I did not like the direction that they've taken the main comics version of Spider-Man...
0: Correct. Mm.
3: To the point that I think that it borders on character assassination. and it's, It does. It's, it generally is depressing. So, this version of Spider-Man is completely different, and it feels like... My my favorite superhero is back. That's all I can really say. Like, mm. It's just crazy to be excited about a good Spider Man comic again. And I really cannot recommend it at all. Oh.
0: And, mm-hmm.
1: uh, that yeah. gets me excited because. I... Yeah, the ones before
0: were bad.
1: <laughs> did anyone, I was going to say, did any of you two read the the original run of Ultimate Spider Man, the Brian Michael Bendis version? Yeah. I skimmed
3: through it. I skimmed through it day. as well. It
1: was one. It's yeah. one of those that were. It's weird because it was one of those that was more on the regular in the UK, which was which is really mm-hmm. strange. So I kind of picked up on it and skimmed through a few issues here and there and enjoyed that. So I'm interested to read this one. I really you am. Should. This version of Ultimate oh, Spider-Man. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Uh, just for like the basic premise of it, it's basically, um, what if Peter Parker got the spider bite? Twenty years into his future, instead of him being a teenager, so
2: oh. this starts out
3: as him. This starts out as him already with a family, married to MJ. Fuck you, Marvel, editorial for changing that. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So <laughs>
3: this this is the new status quo, and I hope they keep this going for a long time.
1: Oh, so mid Spider Man.
3: So if you like stuff like uh, Superman and Lois, you're gonna love this one.
1: Damn. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes,
3: yes.
1: Oh, all right. Do you have another recommendation, melee, or is that the main one? Uh, watch
3: Godzilla minus one in theaters.
1: <laughs> Damn it! He's win- He's he's gonna be win- he's gonna be winning the Jeff Jarrett Award for 2024 if we keep this.
3: <laughs> I am cooking.
1: Duh, um, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> anyway, anyway, with that, it is time to get on to our main portion of the episode, a retrospective on Brett the Hitman Hart. Gentlemen, what is the first thing you think about when the name brett Hart is mentioned to you?
0: I mean To do it to do it in a, to do it in a series of phrases, um pink, black, Canada, the city of Montreal yeah. <laughs> uh uh sharp, sharp shooter, <laughs> and uh and then for some reason I don't know why but when whenever I whenever I think of Brett, I think of those goddamn sunglasses.
1: Mm-hmm. Same, same. To me, I think of that. One, I think of the Royal Rumble from twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. I should say, where Dino did his impression of Bret Hart as Yokozuna entered the ring. and holy fuck, the guy's huge and sweaty. <laughs> 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 I I wish I was joking, but indeed, that's literally one of the first few things that goes into my head now. <laughs>
0: Sam Sam can attest to the fact that the impressions that they do of Jake of Jake the Snake, uh, like any the only thing I think of when anyone ever mentions Jake the Snake now,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's like etched into my
1: brain.
2: Nice,
1: <laughs> very true, very true. I mean, now no, I'm not going to do it because we're not talking about Jake the Snake this <laughs> 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 Oh, man, I'm hoping this one... But Anyway, no. Um, yes, Uh, Bret Hart. I'm not going to go hugely for this retrospective on the whole Hart family, because legitimately, I think that all deserves a separate episode. True. <laughs> the, the, the legacy of the Hart family. But what we're going to do for this one in particular is just talk about Bret's early life, how he got his start into professional wrestling at Stampede, and eventually his entirety of his WWE career and his stint in WCW as well. All right then, let us start, as we always love to do, at the beginning, which always is a very good place to start. Again, that sound of music reference will always never escape me. (laughs) 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 So, Brett Sgt. Hart... Yes, that is his middle name. I can confirm. Sergeant is his (laughs) middle name. (laughs) Unfathomably based. (laughs) Was born in July July 1957 in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, as part of the Hart family. He was, if memory serves me correct, the eighth child of of wrestling patriarch Stu Hart and his wife, Helen. (laughs) He grew up in a household of 11 siblings, seven brothers, Smith, Bruce, Keith, Wayne, Dean Ross and Owen and his four sisters Ellie, Georgia, Allison, and Diana.
3: Small family. Shout out,
1: my man Keith Hart. <laughs> <laughs> now he did have dual. Now because of this, and because of his family's like ancestry and his uh, and his uh, mother being born in New York, that means that Brett had dual U.S. Canadian. Um... Uh, citizenship and was able to jump here and there along to new york and to calgary alberta basically he was able to travel with his dad from a very early age to wrestling shows <clears> here <throat> and there and everywhere <laughs> but on the business son <laughs> <laughs> you better learn the business. literally kind of got his start in professional wrestling at the age of four believe it or not when he helped out uh when he helped out um uh, He helped out with his dad at Stampede Wrestling, doing raffles during the intermission.
0: Okay, now that's how I know that there's a British connection in there. Mm -hmm. Raffles. Because because the British wrestling raffle is a very well-attested part of UK wrestling culture. But also, him being involved in wrestling from four is like the least non-surprising thing when dealing with (laughs) Stu Hart. Yeah
1: very very true as everybody knows though that the Hart family was um eccentric to say the very least as i said
0: mm. i won't go too I, much I, into I, it. you could just say anyone with the surname Hart is eccentric to be honest but yeah i won't
1: as i said i won't go too into it too much but of course Stu Hart saw a pot of land in calgary that overlooked the entire the entire city and built the, his house with his own with his bare hands as he says, talking of bears, they once had a pet bear known as Terrible Ted. Um, and <gasps> one of the things they used to do, as as kids, the Hart family, Brett himself would do, is that they would, end, every time they would have ice cream, they would dangle their feet over the banisters of the entranceway and pour uh, and drip ice cream from their feet, so that Terrible Ted would come along and start licking their feet. <laughs> that
0: is a that is a wild sentence. <laughs>
1: That's I'm the one thing I wanted to that. <laughs> that's the one thing I wanted to tell you to about the Hart family, because it's so
0: fucking out. There. I can't lie, I feel like I was better off not having that information.
1: <laughs> well, here you are, you know it now. You know it now. <laughs> uh so his introduction, as I said, came at a very early age. Mostly, as I said, doing the raffles during the, uh, during the intermissions at Stampede Wrestling. But mostly, has he witnessed his father, Stu, training future wrestlers in the infamous Hart Family Dungeon. The household basement which served as a training room for wrestlers coming in and out of the Calgary scene. Most notably, he says, his very first memory of seeing his dad stretch out a wrestler was actually Superstar Billy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean by that, brother? (laughs) Dude, you're stretching me out, brother! (laughs) (laughs) It was was very well known that actually Bret Hart, at a very early age, was more kind of interested in films and was actually considered himself to be quite the cinephile. And his intentions when he was a kid was more or less to kind of see if he could get into filmmaking rather than actually professional wrestling. But as a way to be able to get closer to his father uh, and be able to build a much stronger relationship with him, he actually ended up becoming uh, a sporting, a very sporting athletic kid and would end up Mm. being into getting into amateur wrestling. Uh, When he was, he trained, uh, he began training when he was just nine, um, when he showed a lot of promise from an early age, especially because, he was watching his dad stretch out a whole <clears throat> bunch of people in the half well, I was gonna say, I feel, I
0: feel like it. I feel like it's a bit of a cheat code, to be honest. Where your dad is a a wrestling coach, and you're there from the age of like four seeing people do this day in day
1: out this is true this is just. I, I like
3: the i like the concept that you know in order to strengthen your relationship with your father i'm gonna become the greatest pro wrestler that's ever lived yeah no,
1: literally <laughs> literally what he did <laughs> so at high school he became a standout student in the in the amateur wrestling team brett as stated and quoted said he joined the wrestling team for the sole reason that my dad expected me to not that anyone hmm. asked me to <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. of course, again, entire, entirely in vain for Stu Hart. <laughs> this is true. And he absolutely dominated the Calgary scene, winning the 1974 City Championships in Calgary. He scored a victory over a competitor, Bob Eklund, who would go on to become, actually, a Canadian inter-university national champion, winning Outstanding Wrestler of the Year for 1980 and 81, and was well on his way to actually representing Canada in the Olympics. But Ooh. he just... Dis- he, he describes the moment where he actually showed his championship medal to his father as a powerful moment, and the relationship went and took a completely different direction from that point on. Uh, Brett Stu actually has that medal in his possession and calls it one of his most prized possessions in his collection. Stu
0: Hart, Stu Hart was there and so said, that doesn't look like a belt to me, brother. <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: Along with a figure of the Simpsons.
1: <laughs> Did you know, though, in 1977, just as he was starting his training... Funnily enough, to be in a pro wrestling, he ended up uh, becoming a collegiate champion at Mount Royal College, where he was also studying filmmaking. So that bug was still there for him.
2: Hmm,
1: interesting. He almost ended up representing Canada in the Commonwealth Games that year.
0: That would have been wild. Mm-hmm. That if if he'd done that and also still progressed to professional wrestling, that that Commonwealth Games footage would become legendary. <laughs> real
1: now he ended up actually uh was he began brett was kind of becoming disillusioned by it he was beginning to find wrestling uh, a little bit unrewarding amidst so much uh uh injuries and having to cut weight for each event he just felt that he was getting more and more demotivated each time he had to do su- such a thing or wherever he would tweak it uh an already ailing injury that he had his father still believed he could make it to the Commonwealth Games or Olympics if he really put more effort into it and 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 stopped and potentially stopped pro wrestling training at the same time. But he, Brett, expressed that if he believed that he even became an, an exceptionally successful wrestler, it would never have led to a career afterwards that he was interested in. Stating that he thought that he would end up as a wrestling coach or a, or, or a PE teacher at a high school if he ever pursued the Olympic route. Interesting.
0: Yeah, that is one of those things that does happen quite a lot.
1: So he, Bret mm-hmm. felt the only way to not disappoint his father in quitting wrestling was to become a pro wrestler.
0: Equally, though, there's a very, very funny alternate universe where Bret Hart is an actual shoot wrestling coach, and then technically someone trained by Bret Hart competes in MMA.
1: Bret Hart Ooh. becomes a, an amateur wrestler <clears> and <throat> filmmaker. <laughs>
0: Like you're buying the Bret Hart instructional DVD.
1: But all this being said, he pretty much ended up giving it up. His college grades became poorer as his interest in filmmaking waned, and he dedicated himself full force into professional wrestling brett doesn't say though that he regrets this time as a teenager as a matter of fact he says how helpful it was having that base in amateur wrestling to build on to his professional wrestling career something that you as time and time again you hear from a lot of pro wrestlers and indeed mixed martial artists that have had that base in uh collegiate and amateur wrestling i mean well the the thing is like
0: when it comes to the the like you know the wrestling and like i'm gonna term shoot grappling when it comes to doing that it's one of those things of like you gotta know how to how to do something well before you can like fake it yeah in that in that sense so like the more you actually know about actual grappling the more you can apply it to making it look showy and impressive yeah mm-hmm
1: Exactly. So it does,
0: it does, it does track.
1: Indeed, indeed. I feel like some of the, as we all know, like some of the best wrestlers came out from amateur wrestling. Brock Lesnar. Oh, yeah. Angle, like these guys that had that real, <clears throat> Shelton Benjamin. Some of these guys that had a real solid base in collegiate, in the collegiate Mahal. scene. Yep, yeah, Jinder Mahal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hell, Was it? Even, <laughs> even, um, a
0: man making fun of all the other time. Um, Dolph. Dolph Ziggler,
1: yeah. Chad Gable, all the amateur these guys, wrestling
0: background. Chad Gable,
1: uh, future and uh, future IWGP <laughs> Global Champion uh, Nick Nemeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all these guys have had a real solid base in uh, in amateur wrestling. Have gone on to have like tremendous careers as as because of it. So. 1976, we go back a year, a little bit yee, as, as Brett starts working more full-time in Stampede Wrestling. First, helping the promotion by being a referee. And this time a quite prolific referee during his time in Stampede Wrestling. But it wasn't until 1978 in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where a wrestler was unable to perform a match, forcing Stu Hart to ask Brett to stand in as a replacement. Nice. Before long, though, he would end up becoming a regular. Eventually, partnering with his brother Keith to win the Stampede International Tag Team Championships four times. Now, there was one thing that we oh, that was pretty much well known with him with, with Brett during his time in Stampede Wrestling. But before I get to that. Some of his most prominent experiences when he started wrestling, at, when he started wrestling, were against combatants, and his actual trainers, uh, Mr. Hito and Mrs. Mr. Sakurada, who were uh, who were two. I believe they were two. Um, it, I think it was New Japan or All Japan um, wrestlers who ended up having an excursion over to Stampede at the time, and they were the ones that actually kind of gave him even more training. Uh, in 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 wrestling um, more than his, I was going to say, more than his dad did, but then again, his dad had the yeah. all that stuff, you know. More kind of like mm-hmm. uh, easing him and, and and smartening him up to yeah, the Yeah, like just like
0: in-ring stuff.
1: And it was also during this time where he would end up having his most prolific matches with Tom Billington, who was better known, of course, as the Dynamite Kid. Now, Hart faithfully At this time did not want to be considered a Nepo nepo baby and wanted to let everybody know that he was there and he was uh, he was under the same sort of deal as everybody else was that he was never going to get any special treatment because his dad was the booker of the entire show. So Hart, in the goodness of all uh, Brett, I should say, in the goodness of all uh, of wanting the respect of everybody there. Always requested to be jobbed out by all of these wrestlers. Beast. Taking pride... (laughs) That that will work for me, brother. (laughs) Taking pride, he said, in the believability of his performances. As Dynamite Kid himself once said, no one on the face of the earth could take a shit kicking like Bret Hart. (laughs) <laughs> and trust me. Than than me? And trust me when I say, look back on those. If you can find those matches of Brett in Stampede, my God, he sold so fucking well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just like, like lanky Brett Hart with not an ounce of muscle on him, wearing nothing but tights and cowboy boots. It's just uh, the prototype of Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> With the Andre, the giant frizzy hair, basically. Hell
0: yeah!
1: <laughs> Anybody like got <a> pre
3: <laughs> Maybe I shall.
0: Maybe I love it though. It's it's great, and like I said, right, no respects. <laughs> Nobody respects the role of the jobber anymore. Yeah, it's a dying
1: art. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So even though. With all this being said, and even though his promos and interview segments weren't great, mostly because he suffered from stage fright at this time, this didn't mean that Hartwood wasn't successful in Stampede. As a matter of fact, he won two British Commonwealth Mid-Heavyweight Championships, five International Tag Team Championships, and six North American Heavyweight Championships during his time in Stampede. Also, because of their working relationship with New Japan, he would also have several excursions in Japan, most famously taking on Tiger Mask during his time in New Japan.
0: Now, that does sound like it would cook. So when, in
1: 1984, Vince bought out Stu Hart's television time for Stampede Wrestling, one of the provisos, and actually um, uh, uh, Gambit's, for Stu Hart was that, well, in that case then, if you're going to buy out my television slot, give contracts to Brett, Jim, Owen, Tom, and Davey Boy Smith. And in 1984... Only those ones, though. Only those <laughs> ones, though. And in 1984, in August of 84, when, they, when Vince bought Stu Hart's uh, Stampede television slot, he also signed all of those guys up to contracts. Actually, in the deal. Hell. And this brings us to 1984 and the WWF. We're talking about this is the time where we are getting deep, deep into Vince's internet uh, national um expansion of the wrestling world and shortly coming up, of course, to uh the first WrestleMania. By the way, if you really want to know more about the Golden Age. Dare I say it? I'm going to say it right here. I recommend oh, watching my. Cultaholic's video on the Golden Age. I really enjoyed watching oh, that part yeah. documentary. It was really freaking good, if you ask me. And that is the only time you'll ever hear me give credit to Sam Driver, but I digress. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Um, he was asked basically, Vince McMahon gave Brett the idea of wanting to be a cowboy. Um, cowboy Bret Hart, but here's the nice. thing, of course, uh, in Stampede, Owen Hart was the cowboy because he was Bronco uh, Owen Hart, and if you've ever watched his time in uh, World of Sport Wrestling, you know that Owen Hart was the ca- most manliest cowboy that ever that ever cowboyed in Canada. <laughs> you heard it here first, Bronco Owen Hart. But mm-hmm. Bret Hart straight out refused, stating to Vince. That where he comes from, if you called yourself a cowboy, you sure as hell better be one. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's fair. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not wrong. It's not wrong at all. Now, believe it or not, Brett's debut match actually wasn't teaming with Jim Neidhart. But as a matter of fact, he teamed with the Dynamite Kid in August of 19. About two, I think it was two weeks after the the sale of Stampede's television time to WWF. Two weeks later, Brett would make his debut with uh, the Dynamite Kid. And eventually, kind of after that, would end up having a couple of house show appearances here and there. Eventually, in, in September of 1984 in New York, Hart would have his first televised debut singles match where he defeated... Aldo Moreno, who, if memory serves me correct, actually ended up becoming Ricky Santana, uh, the American, oh wow, uh, the the American Ooh. guy, uh, the American Cuban wrestler who was most famous for his time in WCW. There you go, everybody. There you go. A little <laughs> bit of little bit of trivia for you, if you really wanted to know Brett's first opponent in <laughs> in 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 <laughs> in, in, uh, in a singles match. That would eventually air on the September 29th episode. Of superstars of wrestling. Eventually. In 1985. He would be teamed up. With his brother-in-law. Jim Neidhart. Managed by Jimmy Hart. To form. The Hart Foundation. Hell yeah. And now basically. This is where we get the Bret Hart. Basically. That we kind of all know and love. This is where Bret adopted. The tights. And singlet. The pink trim. And the sunglasses. were all came from this tag team. And they were known to be one of the most agile, technical teams in the tag division that also had a very no-nonsense, stiff style to them, which almost got them in trouble a number of times for being a bit too stiff. Oh, I'm sure it did. (laughs) Um, This eventually, from this, would end up with Brett, uh, with his agile, technical style Gave him the nickname the Excellence of Execution, which was actually coined by Gorilla Monsoon. Goddamn Gorilla Monsoon. I was so expecting, I
0: was, you don't realize, I was so expecting you to say, Goddamn Michael P.S. Hayes. No. Every single time there's someone who's created something, it always it seems like it always ends up being Michael Hayes and no, I hate it. For
1: this for this one though, Dan, it is definitely Gorilla Bonsu. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but this ended up being a perfect contrast to his partner Jim Neidhart, who was definitely more of the heavy hitter, being off being a brutal brawler in, in, in the face of his of, of his partner Brett. Agile technical style. This, of course, saw them have the great heart attack finisher, which I still think is a really good tag finisher. Correct. Love <laughs> that move. Um, and eventually ended up with them becoming quite successful in the tag division. It was during this time as well that Hart would begin to have more promo time uh during during his run at the WWF. personally of course. He, he would be still be really, really nervous during this time. And and it, it shows. If you've ever seen Go Back to Watch these promos, you can definitely tell that Brett is stumbling over his words and looks very nervous, like a deer in the headlights sort of thing. Apparently, the sunglasses in his entrance uh, were actually... The reason he actually ended up adopting it more often, it was a way to be able, very like much like Batista was uh was like a sort of protective barrier between him, the camera and the audience. And it's cause that makes yeah, sense. he suffered from stage fright, mm-hmm. much like Batista does. He's just like me. Yeah. For real though, with me and my social anxiety, I find sunglasses to actually be perfect.
0: <laughs> sunglasses are great. Especially because I feel like half of them as well, they just let you avoid anything
1: that could happen. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But as Brett has gone on to say during his career, and I can't say that I actually uh, that I blame him for saying this, and and really do kind of agree with him, his mic work, he says, that's probably the biggest weakness he's had throughout his entire career. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> So, as we get into as we get further and further into his career early with the Heart Foundation, in 86 he begins his first single pr- singles program with Ricky Steamboat. Eventually this was a meant to have lead to a singles match at WrestleMania 2 though, which is such a shame that we didn't get to see that match. That's yeah, that's really interesting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But that <clears> being said. They did up they did end up shortly before WrestleMania 2 having the blow-off match at the Boston Garden in March of 86. This would be included on Hart's 2005 DVD as one of his favourite all-time matches, and honestly, I don't blame him for considering it that, because it is a really solid match, if you've ever seen it. Eventually, though, WrestleMania 2 saw Bret Hart participate in the 20-man Battle Royale, which also saw a whole bunch Uh of NFL players as well. Most notably... Oh, my God. William the Refrigerator Perry, most notably. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Cody, just like adrenaline in my soul, <laughs> <laughs> something, something. Bret Hart. Anyway, no, um, so I Foundation... can't even do. I can't even. I can't even do the
0: whole. He's built like a fridge pit. His name was literally the fridge. Yes, no, it literally was. It literally was.
1: So the Hart yeah. Foundation's first tag title win would come on the February nineteen eighty seven episode of Superstars of Wrestling, where they would defeat their rivals, the British Bulldogs. This would culminate what? in a triple threat or in a six-man tag team match, I should say. With the Heart Foundation would team up with devious referee turned wrestler Danny Davis to face on the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana at WrestleMania 3. Right, just to give you like a like a like um like, 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 like a like a visual for Danny Davis, Danny Davis, when he eventually went from referee to professional wrestler, ended up Having wrestling gear that was black and white striped.
0: Oh. Okay, so he looked like a zebra
1: then. He basically was <laughs> a skin tight zebra. <laughs> nice. That's a horrifying concept. Uh nowadays, of course, everybody knows Danny Davis as the form- as the former owner and founder of Ohio Valley Wrestling. Ah. So there you go. Blame, Interesting. Danny-, blame Danny Davis for Al Snow's for Al Snow's staying sticky ground wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> He's one remember. of the most legendary wrestlers. I was gonna say, remember Is He's one of the most legendary wrestlers of the
0: Attitude Era. Come on, guys. Yeah. Where's your where where's your owl snow
1: merch? I know I've got mine. Remember though, guys, <laughs> let's not forget that Danny Davis was actually the one that won the match for the Hart Foundation when he pinned Davey Boy Smith. <laughs> of
0: course. Why would it why would it why would it not be
1: Brad um, or Jim? After shenanigans involving Jimmy Hart's megaphone, may I just say? Uh, of course,
0: Jimmy Hart's there. I, I should have known at this time that Jimmy Hart would be involved as well.
1: <laughs> uh, this is also during the time as well where Bret Hart would finally kind of get basically the uh, the the final evolution of Bret Hart. Rather than having the-, the Top Gun aviator sunglasses, Bret Hart would adopt the Mylar wraparound pink sunglasses and the bright pink attire. Thus, we get the final evolution of Brett the Hitman Hearts. The rest is history. The rest is history. Basically, in 1988, he would turn face and soon become a fan favorite with the crowd. As his career progressed, he increasingly described himself as the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Now, amen, not, brother. Not necessarily a original nickname, as Bret Hart has said mm-hmm. in the past that he be- that I believe he took this from the um the Robert Redford film, The Natural.
0: That, I mean, to be fair, though, at this t- point in time, everyone was stealing from Robert Redford. Yes, mm-hmm. it was. i In all- fact, in fact, if you if you weren't stealing from Robert Redford, then you were probably doing something stupid. <laughs>
1: Let's, let's be honest, people were either stealing from Robert Redford or Paul Newman, let's be honest at this point. I, I, f- I feel like I need to
0: express for the younger listeners, or people people listening to this who might have younger or slightly way older parents, um, the levels of horny for Robert Redford, and to be for <laughs> Paul Newman as well, <laughs> um, at like this point in time, unbelievable levels.
1: Have you ever nice. seen I was going to say you ever seen slapshot great film.
0: <clears throat> but like I I just I feel like I feel the need to say this just in case we, the, the, no one has a cultural reference to Robert Redford like unbelievable levels. Yes. So stealing from
1: Robert Redford, good. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So um where do we get to? Yes, Um. eventually, of course, the Hart Foundation would lose the, champion, uh, the tag championships to Strikeforce in October. He would end up eventually, though, uh, competing in one of his most high-profile singles matches to date on the November Saturday night's main event, where he faced off against Macho Man Randy Savage in a losing effort. Eventually, this ended up becoming what they, a lot of people would say was one of the highlights of Saturday Night's main event, as it was considered one of the best matches they put on at that time. Again, can't blame them, because of the two people in the ring at that time. Mm-hmm. You're welcome.
0: Like, you can't really argue with Bret and Macho Man, really. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, as we enter into WrestleMania 4, Hart, again, was one of the... Was in a was in another battle royal. Eventually, though, he was one of the <laughs> final two combatants, as he was enlisted by former Stampede um uh uh, uh, uh protege, sorry, not protege, uh ally, Bad News Brown, to eliminate the Junkyard Dog before Brad News Brown turned on Bret Hart, eliminating him to win the event. Now, of course, I consider Brad News Brown to be part of the Sweet Chinwag Hall of Fame here in these parts.
0: Yes, <clears throat> <clears throat> Unfa- as I say, unfathomably based. But also, I love the energy of, like, hey, no, you help me out and eliminate him, and then and he just eliminates him afterwards. That's, like, yes, I'm here for this.
3: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> of course, that ended up having a big kind of, a, like, back and forth, nearly ended up in an absolute riot between the two of them and their um, and their compadres in the Heart Foundation. That eventually did, that was all kind of petered out. Um, next thing after that, though, he would end up facing off against the Honky Tonk Man, who was deep. Oh, God. Deep into his run as the intercontinental champion he would actually face the honky tonk man for that same title uh, in a losing effort as it ended in a double countout.
0: okay you've got a level with me here right because i'll admit i haven't gone back and watched that much but like all the stuff i see and the few bits i have seen the honky tonk man is not that good to warrant that title <laughs>
3: I mean, Bret Hart's a better man than me. If, if that was me, I would have called an audible.
0: Yeah, you know, that's what I'm saying, bro. I would have been like, nah, I'm taking over, bro.
1: Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so as Jim and Bret were getting more and more popular with the fans, Jimmy Hart decided to decided to turn on on his uh, two uh, clients and and form an an alliance with the then tag champions demolition and a successful defense of demolitions belts against the hearts at SummerSlam 1988 and this would eventually end up with the fabulous Rougeau brothers also siding with demolition to have a beatdown on the heart foundation of course everybody knows about the fabulous Rougeau brothers and how uh, I think yes. Jacques Rougeau punched out dynamite kid with a, with a roll of quarters in his hands <laughs> interesting but Royal Rumble 1989, Hart Foundation would team with Jim Duggan to defeat the Rujos and Dino Bravo. They would also end up defeating the team of Greg, uh, Greg Valentine and the Honky Tonk Man, then to be known, soon to be known as Riverman and Blues, at Wrestlemania 5. And eventually, of course, they would end up having uh, a number of matches, key matches, in during their European Tour of 1989. Andre the Giant actually requested in, during the Milan stint of, of this European Tour to have a match with Bret Hart, who lost the match. This match ended up actually being lost to time until it was found in the WWE vault in 2013 and released on the DVD set known as the Dungeon Collection. But... Nice. The push, interesting, the encouragement and push that Andre gave to Brett to the back office as well, Brett considers this to be a huge turning point for his career in the WWE, as he considered it at that point to have petered out or literally peaked, as he never thought he would ever get to the main event scene because of his size and he's basically his wrestling style being more technical based to as opposed to the people in the main event scene, a la Hulk Hogan. Who would do the five moves, the ear taunt, and the leg drop. Oh, sorry, <laughs> let, let's not forget the you! <laughs> <laughs> you. Oh, gosh. <coughs> oh, so as we get to as we get to SummerSlam 1989, the Heart Foundation would lose a non-title match against then-tag champions, the Brainbusters. Oh. After this, though. After this, and, uh, uh, the, in, in the first uh, in the very first match of a televised contest that would span his, Hart's entire career, he would end up in form, uh, losing for the first time to Mr. Perfect on a November episode of Primetime Wrestling. This, of course, would start an incredible rivalry that would span, as I said, his, the rest of his entire career and actually end up with several incredible matches from him as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Nice.
1: Ah. So, quick stuff for 1990. As we get into the Royal Rumble, the Hart Foundation defeat the Bolsheviks in 19 seconds at Wrestlemania 6, begin feuding with Demolition, who had just won the tag championships for, for, I believe, a second time. They would end up at SummerSlam uh, beginning their second and final tag championship runs by defeating Demolition in a 2 out of 3 falls match, with a little assistance from the, leg- the newly-debuted Legion of Doom. Eventually, of course, this would lead to a really weird, weird thing happening where the Hart Foundation lost the tag titles to uh, to the Rockers, but a few days later, of course, having the decision reversed because it was very oh, yeah. television, because Vince McMahon did not like the way it went with the top rope snapping and the match going on. Eh, whatever happens of that, so... Uh, basically, the title loss never happened. Eventually, though, the Hart Foundation, uh, the, their reign would last until WrestleMania 7, where they would lose, funnily enough, to the Nasty Boys of all teams. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, goddamn Nasty Boys. So, this, this leads us to Bret Hart's reign and time with the Intercontinental Championship in 1991 and 1992. After the Hart Foundation split... Vince wanted Brett to come up with a brand new finisher, more so less a, 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 a strike or a grapple move and more of a technical submission style move. Now he had been kind of proposing different ideas, thinking of what he could come up in the dungeon looking through tapes of other people's work and it wasn't until he got to looking through tapes that he noticed of course the wrestler ricky choshu doing a very specific a very special different looking submission hold like a texas cloverleaf but with the but with the legs wrapped around his own leg now
0: Texas Cloverleaf the long
1: way. Did you know, Brett wasn't 100% sure on how to execute this move and was trying to do it with a few of the other boys in the in the locker room. Can you believe, I was going to say, if you know, do you know the person who actually taught Brett Hart how to execute <clears throat> the sharpshooter? Okay, it's got to be the
0: most... <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's, got be, be, like...
0: it's got to be the most okay right it's got to be the most gonzo wrestler right it's got to be like the last person you'd expect to do um, like to show how to do that right
1: yeah and honestly Dan I think you're you, you're right on the money basically <clears throat> okay
0: last the last the last the last person that I would guess that was around at that time that would be able to show him that meme answer Jerry Lawler um, real answer um, let's go for like, God, who was around that time? Um, a young, just incredible. As Aldo Montoya, <laughs> I'm,
3: I'm guessing hockey talk, man.
1: <laughs> well, you're both wrong. Because what if I told yeah, you man. that the man who taught Bret Hart how to do the sharpshooter was Conan? Of course it was. <laughs> why? Why wouldn't
0: it be Conan? <laughs> It would be Conan. Probably even at that point, he was saying to Brett, hey, do you listen to my podcast? (laughs) Of course it was Conan.
1: Why wouldn't it be Conan? (laughs) Oh, gosh, dang it. Right. Remind me not to drink water when Dad mentions Conan. (laughs) (laughs) So... After this, he would go on. Of course, he wanted to call it the Scorpion Deathlock as as a tribute to um, not only Sting, but to Sting. Ricky Choshu as well, which I believe Ricky Choshu's name of that finisher literally does translate as Scorpion Lock. That makes sense. Nice. But Vince didn't like the idea and wanted it to be named something else, so Brett was kind of umming and ahring an idea, and eventually was like, uh, I don't know, Sharpshooter? I think it was him and Pat Patterson that came up with the name Sharpshooter. And Vince was like, This is... let's oh, us good shit! I love it! Yeah, damn it, I love it. <laughs> and several years later, I'm gonna name Steve Austin Chelly McFrost! Arnold <laughs> <laughs> <Otto> Von Ruthless! <laughs> anyway... Bret Hart's very first Intercontinental title win would be by defeating Mr. Perfect with the Sharpshooter at SummerSlam nineteen ninety one. Great match if you Cause that moved
0: the sharpshooter.
1: Sharpshooter, great mm-hmm. match. I highly recommend anyone going back to watch it because it's bloody good. And not only that, he would cap off that time in nineteen ninety one by becoming the nineteen ninety one King of the Ring winner in September. Oh my. Of course his nice. first title defense of the Intercontinental Championship would be in the very special one-off pay-per-view this Tuesday in Texas where he would where he beat the undefeated record of drum roll please Skinner
0: <laughs> of course <laughs> why why i forget about this time <laughs> that there are people like that just like kicking around that would randomly get like the opening match on like a wrestlemania and stuff and i hate it i hate
1: every single part of it are you not a, are you not a fan of skinner
0: <laughs> no but we remember we spoke before i think it was god i don't know what it was on i think it was on one of the pay-per-view ones we did or something <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where we were going through and i just saw that and i was like oh my god i completely forgot about this <laughs>
1: <laughs> how dare you how dare you bespoke the name of skinner <laughs> <laughs> And of course this would end up in 1992 Bret hart having one of his more famous rivalries of the ic title with the with jacques rougeau who adopted the new name and moniker the mountie of course, right. well he's
0: Canadian obviously. Of course,
1: a power-hungry corrupt member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I'm sure that went down great in Canada. I was going to say, I was going to say talking about uh talking about something that is an impossible thing. a, co- a corrupt power-hungry member of the Canadian police. Come on.
2: <laughs>
1: he would do it. I was going to say he would be so corrupt that he would still apologize even for being corrupt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for generalizing Canadians, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, this feud came about when the Mounties manager, Jimmy Hart, threw water on Brett, and the Mountie proceeded to shock Brett Hart with a cattle prod. Oh my. Believe it or not. <laughs> but in January... Yeah, I believe it. In a January episode of Superstars... Bret Hart would drop the title to the Mountie. Following this, though, mm. Rowdy Roddy Piper would defeat the Mountie two days later at the 92 Royal Rumble, setting up the probably one of the best matches of Bret and, and Roddy Piper's career, Roddy Piper versus Bret Hart at WrestleMania 8. Holy crap this match is, this match is great this match is fucking so good if no one's seen <laughs> it go back and watch it mostly because i love the story of of course you know brett going well um i thought you uh vince said there was no there was no blading policy and um, I, I decided me and roddy decided fuck that and uh, i would get color <laughs> <laughs> so Basically, Bret Hart decided to fuck the no blading policy and still cut himself open. And you know what he said after he went in the exactly. Vince said, "Did you blade Bret?" And he said, "No, no, it happened. It happened accidentally." He said, "Oh, that's a fight. That's okay then."
2: <laughs> <laughs> Real.
1: Apparently, he so was- based. He was very brett was very good in being able to get away with blade jobs and make them look as if they were yeah, hard way. he was just
0: there he was just there and was just like no i promise i was selling <laughs> <laughs> oh. just believe me i promise yeah, that,
3: that's gonna be me on my wrestling tryout i'm gonna be gonna practice how
0: to you just you just turn up just do some training they're like okay take a pump and you just start bleeding I was gonna
1: say people are saying melee why have you got a bottle of aspirin and a blade in your bag sorry <laughs> no butt oh, a bunch, sweetheart. <laughs> John, just
0: that would be so funny on your first day of wrestling training I'm like okay <laughs> bump and then just blade. I was going to say, and it's a flat ah. back bump as well. And you, go, <laughs> you bleed on a flat back. <laughs> course, Put okay. Rick
1: Flair, it's a shame.
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm doing it for the modern day Maharaja.
1: <laughs> i just basically belly in the ring going <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: doing the Christian thing where he flop on his front. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fucking hell, first day of training and he's already on the muta scale. <laughs> Give him the title. Give him the title, <laughs> damn it. So we're doing this IC <laughs> title run. It was actually on a wrestling challenge taping in July twenty-first, where uh, Bret Hart would end up having a match with Shawn Michaels. One of their very first matches they would have for the Intercontinental Championship in the WWF's first ever ladder match. Oh, <gasps> yeah. So it was Bret who had that first ladder match. Not hit. Not yeah. Jason.
0: The the like. Like, true first one because the other one was like because this one was on like, was it a house show or was it?
1: Uh, it was a wrestling challenge taping. Yeah. Mm. The C show. <laughs> Eventually, of course, they would end up I think it was way before that actual taping that they actually did this match on the house show loop as a way to be able to finesse and fine tune each kind of spot and moment where each person would go up on the ladder. It was a way of basically finding out and, and and ironing out the kinks for this match for this new match type. Uh, uh-huh. Eventually, nice. though, a month later, Bret Hart would probably have his most famous famous title defense for the IC title at Wembley Stadium in SummerSlam '92. He would go on to face Davy Boy Smith, his real life brother-in-law, for the IC title in front of eighty thousand fans at Wembley Stadium. Of course, Bret would drop the title to Davy Boy. And this match lives in, well, in in basically the hallowed halls of the Hall of Fame, as it's considered one of the best mm-hmm. matches, not only of 1992, but one of the best matches of all time. And WWE named it the best, the greatest match in the history of SummerSlam. Pro Wrestling Illustrated voted it match of the year. And of course, upon his induction in the Hall of Fame, Breck cited it as his favorite match of his entire career. Now, of course, we've talked about this match a number of times again, here, there, and everywhere. But, of course, the famous thing coming out of it, which I guess we'll talk about sooner rather than later, of course, was Davy Boy, um, Boy Smith's nerves and or pissed out of his brain uh, with his nerves. A- oh, yeah. Forgetting, forgetting the whole match as it is and Brett calling it on the fly to him. Um, real. Real, yes, real one. So, Brett's, Brett's time as Intercontinental Champion comes to an end. And with that, you probably think to yourself, uh, how long was it until we became WWE Champion? He didn't have to wait too long. As a matter of fact, he only had to wait two months. With Ric Flair soon enough not cu- coming to the end of his WWF contract, a lot of people were considering who should be the one to take the title away from him. Could it be Papa Shango? Could it be Kamala, the Ugandan giant? Could it be Bam Bam Bigelow? Right. Could, it, could it be Davy Boy Smith himself in a and again in an ultimate challenge once more? Vince had a lot, was needed to be convinced I heard, to even consider Bret Hart as one of the names to, to become WWE champion. But mm. then again, um, being convinced about it especially when the steroids allegations were coming about i guess me even were fueled even more um motivation to have a smaller guy win the championship but that's neither here nor there allegedly <laughs> um, yeah allegedly but In 1992, Brett would go on to win his first WWF Championship from Ric Flair at at a Superstars taping in in the Saskatchewan Palace in Saskatoon in October. Yes, Superstars, believe it or not. Now, believe it or not, this match was actually not broadcast for television. It was actually made available on home video rather than actual television. This is bullshit. Jesus shows you how much faith Vince had in Bret Hart that whole time. And if you have actually I I will I will recommend this match cuz it's again Hart, Bret Hart and Rick Flair, honestly, at that time, two guys that pretty much at their peak physically had a, an amazing match and I think Rick Flair knowing full well that he was out the door uh wanted to uh, I guess Wanted to give Bret Hart a good enough match, but I think Rick I mean yeah. I'll give Ric Flair credit for this time at this at this time. The only time I'll ever give Ric Flair credit, he did put on a bloody good match with Bret Hart, so there.
0: Thank Is that emphasis and reality
1: on the bloody or just bit? Uh a bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. There you're welcome. My God.
3: <laughs> I dedicate this match to my son, Buddy Rogers.
1: <laughs> with a tear in I <laughs> <laughs> Now, would you believe if I told you guys this is how based Bret Hart is. A couple of minutes into the match, he ends up dislocating one of his fingers on his left hand. Nice. And Ooh. rather than having the match start, midway during a rest spot, he just pops it right back in. <laughs> That's crackhead yeah. behaviour.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, in the, in the year of 1992, as we're getting into 1993, Bret Hart, the big names that he would go on to defend his newly won minted WWF <laughs> championship are the who's who of professional wrestling as we know it in the 1990s. He would go mm-hmm. on to have successful title defenses against The Berserker. Great. <laughs> Sick. Papa Shango. Sick. <laughs> Fucking Kamala. <laughs> hey, there we go. <laughs> eventually you actually end up having a, 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 a an appealing contest and a title and a successful title defense against the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> that's never going anywhere. And will eventually end up defeating Razor Ramon at the 93 Royal Rumble in a really solid match as well. Unfortunately feel- not Razor Ramon hard gay. But, you know, you <laughs> can't all win. Again, in yeah. his, one of his final matches, Ric Flair would eventually end up challenging Bret Hart once more for the championship in an unsuccessful effort. All this time, Wait. though, leading us to WrestleMania 9. And the main event, the, the, the winner of the 93 Royal Rumble, Yokozuna, going up against WWF champion Bret Hart. In a losing effort, Yokozu, Yokozuna successfully wins the WWF Championship. Not after, of course, interference from Mr. Fuji, who throws. Holy salt, fuck,
0: this guy is huge.
1: Who throws froze, froze salt in the eyes of Brett, leaving him incapacitated and leaving Yokozuna with the free to win the championship.
3: That's a big
1: motherfucker. Holy correct! Holy fuck! (laughs) The guys huge. The guys huge. Talking of guys that that are huge, big boy, who should come out to help? Hulk, Bret Hart to the back, then Hulk Hogan. Then of course, I gotta go over, brother. Mister Fuji then then challenges Hulk Hogan right there in the spot to compete for the championship against the newly minted champion Yokozuna. Bret Hart Mm -hmm. in a daze tells Hogan, and motions him to go, go. Basically, no. Brett Whoa. was actually telling Hulk Hogan to go. Go to the back, get me more help. Not to go to the <laughs> ring and actually win the fucking championship. Nah, Hogan, just...
0: Hogan heard go, and he was like, I... <laughs> well, you know, bro, I hear the call from God to go get me that title. <laughs>
1: well, let me tell you something, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. The big dude in the sky told me to go for the title, brother. Bro. <laughs> the big brother in the sky. Yeah, Hook <laughs> and the Hook signal.
0: Of course, Hook. Hogan... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Someone edit the Hook the Hook signal into fucking WrestleMania nine. As Hogan looks at Yokozuna in the ring, <laughs> and Bret's telling him to go.
3: <laughs> I understand, brother.
1: Send Sendioko. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> oh, I'm fucking dying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, this would lead to Hulk Hogan winning his fifth WWF Championship.
0: Uh, this nice was to- I'm sorry, I'm, so- I'm sorry. This is one of the most
1: BS title wins <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. This was originally meant to lead to Bret Hart versus Hulk Hogan at King of the Ring in June. <laughs> But Hogan refused um, because He's he said really Bret brother. Hart was not a credible champion. <laughs> <laughs> He's not brother. This
0: is brother. this is this is like ascended level politicking. Send them
3: to WWE. O- w- hasn't existed. The,
0: the, 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 this is like the only level below this is like Japanese wrestling politicking, where they like start their o- whole own company because of the problem yeah like no, this is this is this is ho this is hogan being like nah don't worry i got this gets the win of a guy who's had a match and is technically weak then when the guy who was there for it was like hey we should have a match together he's like nah i don't think you're a real champion bro <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is oh this is next level big dogging oh This is so stupid. But instead, what Bret Hart did was actually win King of the Ring for a second time, becoming becoming the only man to become a two-time King of the Ring champion. Hmm. Uh, God damn it. So, supposedly after this, he was scheduled for a WWF Championship match at SummerSlam against Hulk Hogan. But instead, Hulk Hogan decided to drop the title to to Yokozuna because apparently, according to Hogan, he had a movie deal coming along and didn't want to squander that for SummerSlam. (laughs) Um, Scorpion King. Scorpion King with Eric Bush. um. (laughs) Yeah, the fucking Scorpion
0: King. (laughs) The Scorpion Brother.
1: (laughs) And of course, as everybody knows, the way that match ended at King of the Ring was Hogan got blinded by a Japanese photographer. Oh my god. If, if memory serves everybody correct. No, not this. What happened instead was that Bret Hart was entered into a rivalry with Jerry the King Lawler. Oh boy. Which would last... I'm sure nothing wrong can come from this. Which pre- pretty much lasted the entire tenure of Bret Hart's career from that point on. Uh, this would lead to SummerSlam, of course. Their first... Their supposedly... Oh very first, uh, was meant to be their first. Um... Well, I think, no, it was, no, this no, this ain't it, yet. no, yeah. SummerSlam, they met in SummerSlam 93 to determine the undisputed king of the world uh, of the yeah, WWE. Okay. Uh, Hart originally won the match via submission by the sharpshooter. Oh,
0: okay, true. But, mm-hmm.
1: as anyone would, I guess, against Jerry Lawler, didn't let go of the hold after he was declared the winner. So the decision was yeah. reversed to allure the victory.
0: Eventually, um. this would
1: lead to, of course, this would spill over to Jerry Lawler's own promotion of the USWA, where Brett and Owen was seen as the heels and Jerry Lawler was seen as the babyface. face. Uh, make of that what yeah. you
0: do. uh Thing is, though, about this <laughs> Well, I mean, movie, it's a very much an only in Memphis... <laughs>
1: The thing is about this rivalry, though, is that uh, a lot of people really did enjoy this rivalry. He actually ended up winning Davey Meltman's Feud of the Year at the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards.
3: What was he cooking?
1: I don't know, really, if I'm honest. (laughs) Though, all of this being said, of course, this leads us to a rematch uh, on the November episode of Superstars in 1993 against Yokozuna. When Brett had uh, had the match nearly won... Yoko's, with Yoko uh, locked in the sharpshooter, Owen came to ringside to congratulate his brother. As the referee began questioning Owen's motives, this allowed Fuji to assault Brett with once more salt in the eye and the Japanese flag. Then Owen himself involved, got involved in the match, resulting in a victory for Yoko via disqualification. Then, uh, with That's this, definitely how it works. This ended up with This ended up bleeding into the Jerry Lawler rivalry, eventually having the brothers kind of almost disagreeing, but also being able to make amends, eventually leading to Survivor Series, where the team of the hearts, Brett, Owen, Bruce, and Keith, take, take on Jerry Lawler and his knights. Although it wasn't actually Jerry Lawler, because what? Jerry Lawler was facing some legal troubles. and thus was replaced by the then suspended Shawn Michaels who was who was was, um, I think he was right in the midst of his 30 day suspension but was brought back early
3: Uh, TK in his multi-man match is another one
1: (laughs) 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 so with the hearts winning the match the hearts winning the match in decisive fashion as a matter of fact Owen was the only one that was eliminated from the match and bitter with his elimination Owen put the blame squarely on Brett and in the weeks ahead would still keep blaming Brett for holding him back with Owen demanding a one-on-one match oh, sorry a one-on-one match with Brett which Brett would refuse every time Owen asked for it but though they reunited the family and were stronger than ever as they headed into 1994. So much so oh that a Royal Rumble, Brent and Owen would take on the Quebecers for the WWF Tag Team Championships. Unfortunately, oh, though, the God. match was stopped due to injury as Brett was unable to continue after sustaining a knee injury during the match. It was kayfabe, by the way, part of the storyline. After, after the match, Owen would go on to berate his brother for costing him another title opportunity and with attack the knee, or in <clears throat> or in Owen Hart's words I kicked your leg out of your leg, Bret <laughs> <laughs> Wrestlers have such a way with words sometimes. God damn mm-hmm. it. God bless Owen Hart. That man, so fucking underrated. In his promo. Literally, I would say Owen was the best promo of the Hart family. But that's my opinion. Even, that. even when he would say, I kicked your leg out of your leg.
3: Wait, is that where it originated from? That is I where it originated. Kicking that out of your leg?
1: Yeah, that's where wow. it originated from. I like, kicked I've heard your you leg out of your that leg. have for years.
3: Never knew where that was from.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course, this would go on to sow the seeds. Of what would become Owen versus Brett. But Brett had an incompletely different storyline to figure out. As in the 1994 Royal Rumble, Hart and Lex Luger were the final two and were both eliminated at the exact same time. Therefore, both men were named co-winners of the Rumble and received title shots at WrestleMania 10. Yeah, the Batista
0: just... spot before Batista existed. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: So this ended up with Bret Hart and Owen Hart opening up WrestleMania 10. And of course, Owen winning in very convincing fashion. Nice. In a really, really solid match. Actually, honestly, like, like if there's one match you have to watch of Bret's, if, as we talk about this, go watch that match. The match is incredible. There's also a really awesome, really funny spot when they're doing uh, the kind of tit for tat technical holds over to another technical hold, and Owen mm-hmm. kind of boots Brett in the face a little too stiff, and Brett goes, "Oi, fucking watch it!" <laughs> like you can see <laughs> Brett a little pissed off, pointing at Owen, going, "Oi, you fucking watch it." <laughs> Owen, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. <laughs> uh, Luger would be the one during. Uh, Luger would be the one to first contest against Yokozuna. And was unsuccessful. And eventually in the main event. Would go on to defeat Yokozuna. For his second WWF championship. The ending would see Owen Hart in the gangway. The entranceway of Madison Square Garden. Looking on disappointedly. As everyone in the back. Raised Bret Hart in the air. As WWF champion. And Lex Luger going. Where was my promised run with the WWF? Why, why? I was promised to be the next Hulk Hogan. What the fuck's going on here? Yeah, Lex
0: Luger is there. Like, did I just get lied to?
1: Just, no, literally, you should see the look on his face. He looks so disappointed. And that's not acting, boys. That's real. Eventually, he would continue his feud with Owen Hart, as he also started feuding with Diesel at this time. Uh, He would go on to have a successful reign or a defense of the WWF Championship against Diesel, which leads us to the infamous SummerSlam match in 94. Owen versus Brett for the WWF Championship inside a steel cage. And um, I believe we've talked about this match, haven't we, Dan? Which one? The The Owen versus Brett steel cage match, I believe. This may yes, we have spoken ahead. about so this. I really we have spoken this. about this. I really love this match, but I believe there was a part. I think Reading wasn't the biggest fan of this one. Mm-hmm. And I can understand. Yeah, t- he wasn't quite. He wasn't really sure on it. And I can understand from where it was, and but you got to realise at the time that there was and it hadn't been as good as like a good tit for tat kind of cage match until Bret and Owen had that. So from the context of it. Uh, you've got to realise that 94, that was probably one of the best ma- uh, best cage matches of all time. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, episode 105, if anyone wants to know. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> God, we wow. have been doing this for far too fucking long. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> though, this would end up, though, going into, quite honestly, one of my favourite feuds of 1994. A returning Bob Backlund has come back and is becoming a little bit more deranged than usual and has his sights set on Bret Hart. Now, this leads to Survivor Series in a submission match. Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund and everyone is wondering which is the more dangerous submission move, the sharpshooter or the chicken wing? At this time, Bob Backlund had been putting the chicken wing on pretty much everyone. Jobbers... The, the, the timekeeper, his own trainer, the backroom staff, and everyone looked like they were in absolute pain. And so people were absolutely convinced that the crossface chicken wing was a dangerous manoeuvre. That would absolutely rip your shoulder out of the joint. So, this match would end up having to... This wasn't the time, believe it or not, when tap outs were a thing. It was actually supposed to end... When your corner, uh the your competitor, like the manager for each corner threw in, was the fried in the towel. That's wild. Oh. Owen Hart was in Backlund's corner, and David Will Smith was in Brett's corner. Now, this ends with Bob Backlund having Brett Hart in the crossface chicken wing for a good ten minutes. Hart Uh, Davey Boy Smith was knocked out after uh, Owen, I should say kicked uh, uh, Davey Boy's leg out of his leg no, I'm just kidding Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I wish that were the case though but unless it isn't Uh, but Owen then, with Helen and Stu Hart ringside, was begging them persuading his uh, persuading his mum to throw in the towel for Brett and eventually they agreed the towel was thrown in and Bob Backlund once again was WWF champion <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, as of course, as everybody knows, that infamous promo it's sports education. I am your champion. <laughs> uh, eventually, he, he would lose it eight days later to Diesel at a house show At Madison Square.
0: Garden.
1: <laughs> well, you know, actually, not eight days, it was actually three days afterwards. May I just say, <laughs> oh, even better? <laughs> So by 1995, Bret Hart actually ended up kind of taking a uh, a lightened schedule for his time in professional wrestling, focusing more on stuff outside of the business, such as brand deals. Uh, I believe this is when the Calgary Hitmen amateur hockey team first started out. He gave okay. his, he gave his nickname to them, which I believe the Calgary Hitmen are still very much a ta- uh, a sorry a, a hockey team to this very day. That uh, still, I can check for you. And I believe <laughs> Bret Hart still very much is uh, one of the uh, one of the owners of that um, hockey team. Uh, he also nice. ended up acting here, there, and everywhere, having a few roles in television as well as his probably most famous role as himself in The Simpsons. Interesting. Believe it or not, the first and only wrestler to actually appear in The Simpsons. The original intention was for Brett to actually play a fictional wrestler, but it wasn't, I believe, until one of the writer's kids turned to uh, one of the writers of The Simpsons and said, you do realise that you've got Bret Hart, and he's probably one of the most popular wrestlers of all time, so just have it be Bret Hart. And of course, yep. everybody knows that Bret Hart buys Mr Burns' mansion and goes, why would I want a painting of a pencil-neck geek? (laughs) (laughs) Now get out of here, you're smelling up the place. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So. Uh,
0: I can confirm that the Calgary hitmen are still an active ice hockey team. Lovely. Let's go.
3: Long-term storytelling.
0: They are currently ninth in the WHL Eastern Conference. I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, I know what ninth means. I don't know
1: what the East and West Conference is, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, coming back in 1995, what was he doing in the WWF? Well, he would end up challenging Diesel at the 95 Royal Rumble for, for the WWF Championship. <laughs> that was continuously marred by outside interference and ruled in a no contest draw. Ah, um, in a rematch from Survivor Series and at WrestleMania 11, Bret Hart would defeat Bob Backlund in an I Quit match, with Roddy Piper being the guest referee at this time. Bret Hart calls this the worst pay-per-view match that he ever had, and honestly, I am not surprised that that... <laughs> at that. It, it is, in fact, one of the Bret Hart matches of all time. Uh, he would eventually get to In Your House 1, a pay-per-view that we have indeed watched, uh, Dan, as he would have one of yes. two, two matches in that, in that pay-per-view. He ended up having a fucking great match against Hikushi. Yes, he does.
0: It's probably the probably what the probably about the best match on that card.
1: Yeah. And uh and, and would reignite his feud with uh oh fucking hell, with Jerry Lawler in this same event.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Okay, yeah, I remember this. I definitely remember this now. Yeah, the Hikushi match is by far the only match on that card you should actually bother watching. Yes, absolutely. This leads mm-hmm. to- It's like the only one that's half decent.
1: This would lead, of course, to another rivalry, a rivalry with uh, with Jerry Lawler. Uh, a kiss-my-foot match, which Bret Hart wins, and Jerry Lawler kisses his feet. This is when Jerry Lawler uh, invites his dentist, Isaac Yankum, to be uh, the be the man to face off against Bret Hart. Yes, Isaac Yankum. Fucking Glenn Jacobs. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Would you believe, after this, though, <laughs> ooh, uh, the, 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 the man the man who uh Bret Hart would go on after this whole Lawler uh shenanigans, the next rivalry that Bret Hart would be ignited with, not what was not with the WWF champion at the time. No, it was with Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Uh and the man who stole Bret Hart's ring jacket. That's the reasoning for the whole of this feud. Great. That's amazing. Uh, of course, Jean-Pierre Lafitte um. would go on to become PCO, so you know, <laughs> that's neither here nor Please. there. <laughs>
0: You win some, you lose some.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Oh man! Um, gosh, where can we go after this? Ninety-six. Uh, he loses to the Undertaker via disqualification with Diesel interfering. Eventually, retaining the WWF Championship for the Undertaker and defeated the Undertaker in a disqualification rematch on the episode, on an episode of Raw. Again, uh <laughs> um, They really love. Deferenced. they really did Re- really did <laughs> oh man I may just say as well that this was when Bret Hart was once again WWF champion defeating Diesel in an ODQ match in Survivor Series 96 Uh, 95 I should say so apologies for not bringing that one up I really ran right into that yeah this ignited a feud with Diesel he would end up having a match against Hunter Hearst Helmsley um, on Raw Eventually, though, Commissioner of the Time, Roddy Piper, ruled that Bret Hart would face Shawn Michaels, who earned a championship match at WrestleMania 12 in a 60-minute Iron Man match. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. this is a, a really solid match. They go on for 60 minutes and a 0-0 draw, which goes into overtime. And Gorilla Monsoon rules in sudden death, and Shawn Michaels does get the win via Sweet Chin Music. It is match of the year one of the considered one of the best matches of WrestleMania. And I can't say that I blame them for that. It is a bloody solid match. I really do love this one. Highly recommend it. But finally, I'm so happy. So happy that I finally get to talk about his feud with stone cold. Steve Austin.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Fresh from winning. Tap out Austin. Tap out Austin. Fresh from winning the 1996 King of the Ring. Bret Hart, after his loss at WrestleMania 12, went on hiatus. And during this hiatus, Steve Austin was ruthless against Bret Hart, goading him, taunting him, mocking him for leaving the WWF at this time. Basically, the whole thing of, are you putting this in front of him, man? Fuck you. <laughs> it's so I mean, you, It's so
0: dumb, but it's so good.
1: <laughs> That's all I got to say about Bret Hart. <laughs>
0: It's just the thing that you put. put, Like, the the other thing I hate about it is is that I never would have put those two bits together. That you put an (laughs) S in front of Hitman. I'm just
1: like, well, that's just the funniest thing in the universe, obviously. (laughs) This, of course, leads to Hart's return from his hiatus at the Survivor Series, 96 Survivor Series, in a match against Steve Austin for the number one contender spot for the WWF championship which Hart was successful he would go on to challenge then champion psycho sid the following month in your house oh no it was Shawn shout michaels- out sid sean michaels who had lost his smile and was serving as guest commentator at ringside cost Hart the victory when he attempted to become involved in the match and then being assaulted by sid the escalation and the build-up and the heat between Hart and michaels would climax after the match, when Brett would assault Michaels and Hart's feud with Austin would escalate as well into the Royal Rumble. Now, of course, Brett, um, sure Michaels was retired at this point, and the original intention was to have Hart rematch against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 13. As we know, that does not fucking happen. Yeah. So, the seeds planted for Brett Hart versus Steve Austin at WrestleMania. Happens here at the Royal Rumble when Hart would tossed out Steve Rostin, only for Austin, unbeknownst to the referees at the time that he was eliminated, would be able to climb back in the ring sneakily and go on to win the Royal Rumble match. Now, after seeing this and, be, and, and protesting a lot on the next night's Raw... In order to deal with this, a fatal four-way match between the last four participants of the Royal Rumble, Vader, The Undertaker, Bret Hart and Steve Austin would be set up for In Your House, the winner becoming the number one contender for the WWF Championship. This would be Undertaker winning this match. Of course, he would go on to face Sid for the WWF Championship, but this was served as a vehicle for Bret Hart versus Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. And eventually, of course, with them having that terrific submission match with Ken Shamrock as special guest referee. <laughs> I really feel like that gets forgotten. hmm What a fucking match. You're welcome. Exactly. <laughs> 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 Which, by the way, we've seen snippets of in that... Um... Cause Stone Cold said so. VHS we watched a few weeks back. He's bald, we- jackass. Oh, am bald jackass. <laughs> oh gosh! In a in a cage match between Sid versus Bret Hart in to, for the WWF, I believe it is obviously against Undertaker. Oh, hang on. Did I have this? Ri- Did I have this down wrong? Oh. <gasps> No, it was actually him. yeah in a grudge match between in a grudge match in a cage match between Sid and, Hart and Bret Hart, which Bret Hart did lose. This happens, of course, right after the match, the infamous moment where Bret Hart shoved Vince McMahon to the ground and did a post-match interview where he ended up going mad and swearing at upper storm. Frustrated isn't even the goddamn word for it. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> This of course sets up the whole thing of the Heart Foundation Reunion which would see Jim Neidhart, Davey Boy Smith and the newly debuting Brian Pillman form a brand new Heart Foundation with the weird dichotomy of being absolute revered baby faces in Canada and being hated in America. I also okay but like you well. get
0: what I you get you get what I mean when I say it just feels weird to have Brian Pillman as part of the heart Foundation but the main thing that's bugging me is just the fact that his last name isn't heart
1: <laughs> Brian Pillman is dead. Oh hey Alexis' heart oh get out
0: <laughs> Oh brother bro, this guy
1: stinks! <laughs> oh gosh. It was actually. I can't do that now, right? No. This, of course, sets up the Heart Foundation DX feud, which eventually, of course, gets into a lot of really heated. And far too white-knuckled promos where they both go a little bit too far. Now, there was a promo where Bret, Hart, where Bret Hart slays it into Shawn Michaels in a live Raw taping, which unfortunately goes a little bit too long and cuts the broadcast as Bret Hart is continuing to do this. Shawn sees that as an absolute offence and tells him that you'll never able punk me out like that again. Brett was apologetic saying, well, no one told me I was in the air, I was waiting for the signal to stop, but you didn't tell me to stop. Stop it. Of course, this leads to the Sunny Days promo that Shawn Michaels ladens against Brett Hart, uh, alluding to the fact that they possibly had an extramarital affair with Sonny. Despite the fact that Sean Michaels himself was at that time having an affair with Sonny behind Chris Candido's back, but you know that's neither here nor there.
3: He was up all night.
1: <laughs> 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 May I just say though, in, in 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 this childish shit that was happening during this time, Bret Hart actually had a really good match for the IC title against Rocky Maivia. Really good match. And, uh, mm-hmm. Brett Harkins, and Brett Hart uh, was one of the very few people that actually came to the defense of Rocky Maivir when a lot of people were trying to punk him out. For mm-hmm. oh, He's mm-hmm. a white meat baby face, sheer nepo baby. He only got and, here because and, of his dad and shit. Sean and, Michaels and, in return, oh, sorry.
3: and in return, uh, Rocky decided to take the sharpshooter and turn it into one of the most dark shit moves ever created. <laughs> you
1: damn right! <laughs> <laughs> of course, this leads everybody to Survivor series 1997 the infamous montreal screw job which has been talked about verbatim there's a, i feel that there's a reason why we've never done talked about the montreal screw job it's because it's so documented at this point that That's it's bullshit. kind of hard to kind of give an opinion or, like, anything new about it. It was... All I'll say is this. It was incredibly well documented in the Bret Hart Wrestling with Shadows documentary. (laughs) What a timely thing to be happening at a a point of major... issue in wrestling <laughs> you know what i love i love brett's then wife absolutely chewing out triple h and triple h looking like a little kid saying yes ma'am sorry ma'am didn't mean for do that ma'am i'm not doing this ma'am. it's like i didn't know ma'am i'm sorry ma'am the other great moment is seeing vince mcmahon stumble out of bret hart's locker room after getting absolutely fucking pie faced with an uppercut <laughs> and getting not from what i've heard getting knocked the fuck out Deserved. So the story goes, of course, Bret Hart, having received a twenty-year contract from Vince, which would see, which I think uh, went into the twenty. I think it was twenty million dollars over those twenty years, which would see him have a rest uh, like a full-time contract. A few years later, having a part-time contract, and then having an advisory producer role for the rest of his duration of that contract. Um, Vince couldn't commit to it and told him to go to WCW for a for a great offer, which again, which Brett was quite upset by because he wanted to stay in WWF, but was then kind of being forced to being pushed out of the company, accepts the offer from WCW. Of course, Sean still being Sean was kind of being a was was kind of being still kind of childish to Brett. In a sense, I mean Brett was also being. I mean that's not to say Brett wasn't being a bit childish because he was being a bit childish as well with Sean as well. Uh, this all culminates, of course, with one of his last days, uh, committed days as uh, as a WWF superstar at, mm-hmm. at Montreal and being told to um, uh, being told basically to take the title uh, to to lose to Sean. Despite the fact that Sean said that, um no, Brett was like, Oh look, all water under the bridge. No matter what happens, I will always protect you, Sean, in the ring, and hopefully, you know, you know, I if if needs be, I will always be able to do the job for you. To which Sean said, Yeah, well I won't do the same for you.
0: Yeah. I love it. We've said this enough times, but Shawn Michaels at this time was an absolute bastard. <laughs> he really
1: was, and that's
0: by like that's like by his own admission as well.
1: <laughs> of course, this of course leads to the screw job. I won't go into the gritty details of it. Of course, uh, Vince unsure whether Brett would do the job or stuff like that, uh, or would take the title to WCW. Nervous about everything, concocts a plan to have sh- to have him stripped of the belt in a very convincing, like very kind of quick and dirty fashion. Uh, Sean puts on the sharpshooter. Regardless of what Brett's doing to try to reverse the hold, Earl Hebner calls for the bell. V- oh, sorry, Vince calls for the bell, which Earl Hebner calls for the bell. And um, Sean's declared champion, and everyone runs out as fast as they can. Brett, mm. pissed upon what's happened, spits on Vince McMahon, writes in the air the words or the letters WCW, and starts throwing and destroying all the equipment uh, around him trying to be calmed down by members of the Heart Foundation. This is a screw job. This is bullshit. <laughs> now, I'm not going to tell you guys, like, I'll give you guys the idea or amuse the idea of is this real or was this fake or was this a total, this was a total work, bro. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that, but what I will say is, uh, well, its effect on professional wrestling is still felt today because we're still talking about it. This is true. And the intrigue I feel like never will never ever go away from it, let's be honest.
3: (laughs) Damn, if only Vince just put a little more faith in Brent, none of this would have happened.
1: Exactly. So this leads us to WCW. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he would end up getting a three year contract with WCW with a salary of 2.5 million per year plus a million dollar annual increase from his contract in the WWF as well as a light schedule creative control over his character which let me say that last one I don't think was well as well as, as it could have been as well done as it should because Bret Hart's career in WCW was fucking shit
3: I have no idea what he did in that during that time
1: Okay, so... Um, Not a whole lot of anything, really. Uh, they tried to do their own version of the screw job at Starcade 97 with the match against Hulk Hogan. Of course. And always Sting. Uh, Nick Patrick, being a, being a dick, concocted a plan with Hulk Hogan to actually do a slow count rather than the proposed fast count with Sting, which made Bret Hart look like an absolute evil dick for restarting the match. Again, probably making Hogan look strong by doing a slow count for the free rather than Sting getting a fast count and getting a cheap win against Sting, who had been returning. That's right, brother. I I still can't to this day understand why you had to make yourself look strong against Sting, who was, at this point, who had not been wrestling for a year and a half, was the biggest babyface they had ever had in WCW. Listen, Jack, I don't think he's right, brother. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> and what did Bret Hart do in this time? Well, he did end up winning the US Championship a couple of occasions. He would become eventually for some bizarre reason an 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 advisory member, a satellite member of the NWO. Never officially a part of it, but always willing to help them out as best as they as best as he could to a certain degree. Like...
0: Is 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 the NWO taking like franchises now?
1: French, yeah, that's the best way. Can you can it
0: you is. be an NWO licensee? I hold the license to use the NWO name and logo, but
1: I'm not actually representing them. He, he that literally, what it was like, literally that sort of way. He was do- he was part of that. Uh, he would go on to have matches against. Sting eventually, he would end up having matches with Diamond Dallas Page for the US Championship. Not bad matches, may I add, but still weird sort of matches. He would use he would eventually use, lose the US Championship to Roddy Piper. And <laughs> fucking hell, oh man. Um, <laughs> this is where he would try to go. For the WCW Championship, as well as calling out Goldberg, claiming that he could beat him his undefeated streak in five minutes, and coercing him Goldberg into giving him a spear. Of course, this actually was quite of a based moment on this episode of Nitro, as Goldberg gave Bret Hart a, st- a spear and knocked out Goldberg. Because he was wearing a metal breastplate under a Maple Leafs jersey. Now this, this is awesome. I love this. Mm-hmm. This is like
0: peak wrestling. All I'm saying- this is wrestling yeah. heritage. All I'm
1: saying is Bret Hart was watching Back to the Future free <laughs> that, that week.
3: <laughs> so based.
1: I love this though, because right afterwards he would say, hey Pischoff, and the WCW, I quit. <laughs> Now, of course, this comes into his most notable rivalry in this time in WCW. His rivalry with Will Sasso of Mad TV. Of course. Okay, now you're saying something. Mm-hmm. Will. Fucking Sasso. This comes after Bret Hart made a, an improv, like not an impromptu, but a scheduled appearance on Mad TV and it was during a sketch that Will was doing that Bret Hart got went a little too far with it. Hit him with a steel chair and applied a sharpshooter onto him. This of course leads into the Mo- Monday Nitro where Will Sasso and Bret Hart have a grudge match to settle the score. Interesting. Oh,
2: fucking hell. <laughs>
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, this is um. Yeah, I don't want to talk more about this because I believe that Will Sasso actually won this match through technicality. <laughs> Probably,
3: I mean, Bret Hart wasn't ready, brother.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, it was during this time in WCW where um, where Owen Hart would unfortunately end up passing away at the Over the Edge pay per view during his time in the WWF, and. The only I, I would definitely say one of the high the high moments of Brett's career was being able to have the Owen Hart tribute match um in a special episode of Monday Nitro uh against Chris Pinoir. Exactly. And I would say this, go back and watch it, because it's actually a really freaking good match. And they actually gave them they actually gave them for nitro, they gave them fifteen minutes to wrestle. Which is crazy for Nitro at that time because no one was mm. wrestling matches at fifteen with a fifteen minute length. <laughs> I mean, especially on TV.
3: Given the circumstances, you are probably look like an asshole if you didn't give him time.
1: <laughs> oh gosh! And all I say is this: uh, finally, in 2000, uh 19, late ninety nine and two thousand, they actually saw sense and gave Bret Hart the WCW Championship. Fucking finally! This, of course, nice. would lead to a uh, rivalry slash alliance with Goldberg, which would see them also becoming tag champions for a little while, for a little bit of it, of course, a little bit. And of course, this would lead to, oh, man, this would lead to Star. I believe it is Starcade '99. Um, is it? Yes. Did I have it? At Starcade '99. Where did I have? Did I?
3: Hey, right, cancel Sam. I canceled
1: Sam, sorry. No. Uh...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> SAM.exe has stopped working. Yes, it is. No, sorry. It was Starcade 99. Yes, it was that match in Starcade 99. Uh, Goldberg was facing off against Bret Hart for the WCW Championship, where an errant thrust kick from Goldberg struck Hart square in the head, resulting in a severe concussion. Thing is, though, a lot of people believe that this is the moment Brett stops wrestling. No. As a matter of fact, Brett continued to wrestle three additional ma- three matches up until that point, and each match he suffered a- an additional concussion, having been unaware of the severity of the injuries that he had, which... Oh. That's very unfortunate. Yeah. Now, believe it or not, one of these matches once was once again against Goldberg, and um Hart placed Goldberg in a figure four leg lock around the ring ropes. Thing is when Brett made oh, yeah. to do the full version of it and put his both of his legs into it, he whacked the top of his head on the concrete floor.
0: Yeah, mm. there was a whole thing about that because um when you look at the when you look at the video, um like just the, the, the placement of everything is wrong. Yeah. I, th- I think Goldberg's too far away from the ring post, and the like where Brett is, he's like basically hanging from the ring post, and then yeah, falls and then lands basically square on top of his head.
1: Yeah, it's oh, it's it's awful. It's it's nasty, nasty looking, and uh, yeah, it wasn't until like um, it wasn't I believe it was until it was late two thousand. It was uh, no, sorry, not late two thousand, January of two thousand. Uh, in a, he was scheduled for sold out of that time, but had to withdraw because of his injuries and how they mounted up and realized that this, the concussion he actually had was more severe than, than anyone thought it would. But he would eventually he would make eventual appearances on television, mostly just to cut promos here and there. And his final appearance would be in September of 2000 in a Thunder where he confronted Goldberg on the inj- injury he sustained nine months prior. Um, and a month later, he would be terminated from his contract via FedEx.
0: <laughs> oh, WCW.
1: <laughs> now, of course. Oh, how we love you so. <laughs> now, of course, everyone knows that Bret Hart's time in WCW was lackluster at best. Let's be honest. They, they, they had. They had an amazing opportunity to be able to push Bret Hart as probably one of the uh, as, as as like the golden child of WCW and really stick it to to the competition, but they just never did because I know could it be was it Bischoff was it Hogan was it just the NWO was it the just the culture of WCW at the time all of those things probably
0: yeah there a lot of things there were a lot of things going on WCW that time that people probably wouldn't be happy about yeah. two Um, weeks so anyway do you remember the time that wcw tried to rebrand itself as nwo (laughs) wcw
1: yes (laughs) don't remind me of that time (laughs) god dang it no don't remind me of that time dan please please. (laughs) so so what did bret hart do uh, post-retirement um, in two, uh, 2000 well no uh, let's let's so let's <laughs> talk a little bit about it so 2001 <laughs> he becomes the on-screen commissioner for world wrestling all-stars
3: excuse me yeah
1: brother <laughs> that australian company that jeff jarrett was so high on and actually tna ended up having a relationship with them which is a nice.
0: wild concept.
1: Unfortunately, Bret Hart was un- was unable to stay on as the kayfabe commissioner because in 2002... <laughs> yes, because the company died a death. <laughs> no, not because of that, but actually in 2002, he would end up suffering his stroke. Oh, wow. Oh, I might...
0: didn't realise that. I didn't realise that came before the end of WWA.
1: Yeah, believe it or not, yeah. Uh, believe it or not, the person who took over as commissioner, Sid Vicious. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay good money to see Sid
0: be the on-screen um, commissioner for a wrestling company. That sounds wild.
2: <laughs> Goldberg, Goldberg.
1: Eventually, though, he would make a. Uh, he would. He would be able to make an appearance um, after reco- well, while still recovering in 2003, at another World Wrestling All Stars event in 2003. <laughs> Uh, just saying thank you to everyone for, for being able to come out and for giving me all the well wishes and being able to kick this on its head. He would eventually return to the WWE in 2004, being able to send his light, bring his likeness to WWE SmackDown vs. Raw for the PS2. And this ended up opening a door for Bret Hart to finally have discussions with Vince McMahon. It was during this, actually, that there was going to be a home video release from WWE in a similar vein to the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior, where Ooh. it was going to be called Brett Screwed Brett. And it was going to be just basically a hit piece on Brett Hart and his unprofessionalism. <laughs> Brett basically just said, no, no, you're not doing that. How about you contact me and we'll actually do a real, quite positive and good DVD about Bret Hart, to which Vince actually agreed, believe it or not, and that's which is all again sounds wild. This ended up, of course, becoming the Bret Hart best there is, best there was, best there ever will be DVD, um, which is actually really, fo- which actually is a really good documentary. I highly recommend watching. Yeah, That's just... such
3: a crazy thing, like making the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. Like,
0: oh yeah, no, like in his head. <laughs> this is the thing where i say where i'm like you genuinely have to question the people behind that who were completely fine with just being like yes we will make a dvd for for home video release that was talking about how someone that worked for our company went through major life struggles yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it, 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 it it's a while, like obviously we can say what we want about the ultimate warrior at this point <laughs> Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll leave that. I'll leave that to the rest of you to do. But it's absolutely wild that the people that employed him made that.
1: Oh, to quote. If to it quote... was like,
0: if it was like Vice, or if it was like a Wrestling with Shadows type thing, where it was like a separate.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 to quote, to quote, uh, to quote Jim Ross in Dark Side of the Ring: "What the fuck is Destrucity?
3: <laughs> Real."
1: So, of course, this ends up with Bret Hart becoming an inductee to the 2006 class of the Hall of Fame, being inducted by Stone Cold Steve Austin. Beast. Tap out, Austin. Tap out, Austin. (laughs) Of course, this leads to a good working relationship with Hart in the WWE, which would see Bret Hart returning sporadically here and there throughout the years. Eventually, his big return would be 2009 where Bret Hart would come on to Monday Night Raw, thank thank the fans for their continued support, <laughs> bury the hatchet with Shawn Michaels, but then this would, this would actually ignite a feud <laughs> between Bret Hart and Vince McMahon, which would culminate at WrestleMania twenty. 20- <laughs> or was it 26? It was 26, yeah, it was 26. Bret Hart versus Vince McMahon, and what I could say was was, like, watching... I was, like, watching paint dry. There you go. I'm sorry, guys. I love Bret Hart as much as the next guy, but my fucking God, that match That's did not need horrible. to
0: happen. There there's a, There are many things that I can say about that match, but the key one is unnecessary. There was literally <laughs> no need for it to exist. It Bruce... exists to spite itself.
1: Bruce Hart, a special guest referee, though, actually, is quite fucking hilarious
0: because correct me if i'm wrong but didn't rest was was wrestlemania 26 the one that had fucking Lawler versus jim ross
1: no that was 27 uh, 26 was the was that 27 yeah 26 was taker Shawn michaels 2 god damn i thought i thought that
0: happened i thought that happened on the same one as the as the Brett one
1: <laughs> no, I
0: was gonna say, "Fucking go double double for <laughs> completely unnecessary WrestleMania
1: matches."
3: That's what's Bret-, Bret Hart's worst look in his entire career.
1: What? What gene shorts and a hockey jersey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it is pretty bad. Believe it or not, though, this wasn't the last of Bret's in-ring careers. Of course, he would go on to win the U.S. Championship a couple months later. <laughs> again. <laughs>
0: Bret returning during such an aggressively Dire period is
1: like the worst part. He would also mm-hmm. be Raw GM, and of course, be part of Team WWE at SummerSlam against the next.
0: Yeah, he was. Unfortunately, I still remember that from when, from when we were talking about it. <laughs>
1: And that pretty much is kind of like everything for Bret Hart's in-ring career. As of sporadic appearances, of course, he's made appearances here and there with WWE over the years. Introducing Sammy's- Sami Zayn to a Canadian crowd during his Raw debut in that US Championship Open Challenge with John Cena. Occasionally making appearances at NXT's here and there. Of course, he would be ringside at Clash of the Castle. Again, I was going to say maybe I shouldn't really talk about this. When the Hart Foundation, well, when Jim Neidhart was inducted into the uh, into the Hall of Fame in 2019, some idiot thought it'd be a fucking great idea to attack Bret Hart, and everyone, everyone who was ringside, let that person know that that was probably the stupidest decision they've ever, they've ever made. If memory serves me correct, I believe Cash Wheeler was the one who really got a good <laughs> shot in that into that guy as they will. Oh, him up. of course it was. Of course it was Cash Wheeler. Who was wearing mm-hmm. a Heart Foundation jacket and literally just sucker punched him right in the face? Of course. Why would it be anyone else? Bret Hart, though, being an absolute fucking based human being, not shaken by the whole thing, just goes and continues and finishes the speech.
3: He's just like me.
1: <laughs> just like Melee, for real. <laughs> oh, That's so- a worker right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, his one of his very last appearances that we've seen thus far was at All Elite Wrestling, where he would become the person to introduce the AEW World Championship at their very first pay-per-view, double or nothing. Fun fact for you, Dan. And Melee. Who was yes, the man, yes, I... what was the, who was the man that introduced <laughs> Bret Hart to the audience? I know I know oh. this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It was British comedian Jack Whitehall of all people. Tony
1: Cole's best friend.
0: <laughs> and I I don't I don't think I have a way of referencing this for Americans that would make sense. This is this is like if you were watching WWE and then the title belt was being unveiled by like The Rock and like Jimmy Fallon.
1: Oh dear god no. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. To quote Jimmy Fallon,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, like it
0: it, it, it is a frankly absurd concept. <laughs> uh. Like. It told it told us all that like apparently Jack Whitehall is a big wrestling fan, but equally I'm like, what are you doing here? You know those memes where it's like, what the hell is the polar bear doing in Arlington, Texas? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what that's
1: what this is like for me. <laughs> so that is true. That is true. All right, so I lightly touched upon Bret Hart's career. I haven't gone over so much of the matches, and of course, it's kind of been a bit of a more of a funny one to look at. But the point still stands when I say this, everybody. Bret Hart will I feel forever be synonymous with professional wrestling because he literally is one of the best to ever do it. Yeah.
0: Like like the thing is that like we we can be here and we can meme stuff that's happened, but like Bret Hart is that good. Mm-hmm. There is a reason why we still talk about it. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's weird. I was gonna say, from your perspective, melee, it must as cause over here. I feel like the adulation for Bret Hart is very much the same as it is in Canada, where he's absolutely like beloved. Like you gotta understand, over here we saw Bret Hart as like a fucking minor deity. Honestly. <laughs> How is it, like, in know, the, what is Bret Hart, like, the reception in the US for Bret? I've never I've never really kind of been able to gauge it with people. To be honest, I don't really
3: know, because you have the smart fans who already know he's one of the greatest, so they're going to cheer him regardless if he's the hero or not. Mm. And then you'd have the casuals who just, you know, boo him because he's Canadian. So it's really hard to tell.
1: Interesting. Interesting.
3: But then again, he's also after my time, so... There's not, not really much for me to go by.
1: That's for sure. That yeah,
3: my own exposure to him is his WrestleMania match with McMahon, so... <laughs>
1: <laughs> not the one with Steve Austin, though.
0: <laughs> Never heard of him. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh... Tap out, McMahon! Tap out, McMahon! <laughs> you son of a bitch! <laughs> but no, um... I-, I was going to say, this was more of a light-hearted take on it, but I will say this, I just, growing up in that time, just short of that time around, that like, 97 to 99, as I was really getting into it, I, even then, I felt like I knew that this guy is fucking good, he's so good, even mm-hmm. if he's facing Will's fucking Sasso, he's so good. <laughs> and I Real. don't know about you. I know a lot of people have called his promo style boring. I've found with Brett style, it's yeah. very more kind of sports presentation, kind of like a combat sports person would talk. I've always found Brett style to be kind of more engaging on kind of like a very yeah. on a very personal sort of like human level. Like, he he's a technical wrestler. He knows he's fucking good and he's going to tell you what he's going to do and he, how he's able to win the match. And it's like that's that is what any person who would be in a competitive sport would do. Not the, <laughs> well, let me tell you something, dude, with the 22 inch pipe. Mm-hmm. Look, there's a I pipe... think the
0: thing is is that the, the thing with him is that he's very, like, anti typical wrestling. There's... So I think for, I think it probably for a lot of people, especially around that time, it would have felt weird because he's, like, the exact opposite of what they used to. But then obviously it's one of those things of, like, uh, you're not appreciating this now, but you'll get it later.
1: See, it's one of those things mm-hmm. where there's always a space for Mucho Man Randy Savage, just as much as there's always a space for Bret the Hitman Hart. Yeah. and just so as Unfortunately, much- some people in the wrestling world can't understand the
0: concept that those two things can exist side by side.
1: Just as much as there's a place for Daniel Garcia as well, may I just add as well? <laughs> there is a place for Daniel... No Garcia. As they're but it's like the whole thing of like it's like
0: the whole thing of like when he first came to WWE and everyone was like, "Oh, who the fuck is this Daniel Bryan guy?" Looks completely <laughs> useless. He's too small. And I'm like, that's literally the most stupid thing you could say.
1: Yes. Yeah. And of course, they doubled down the whole fucking making Michael Cole be, I guess, the the voice, the mouthpiece of Vince McMahon's thoughts of Bryan Daniels. <laughs> you pretty much. But there again, that's neither here nor there. All I'll say is this, Bret Hart, look, there's no denying that he's one of the best ever to do it, and uh, one of my personal favourite guys throughout the history of professional wrestling. Also, he had the best gear, I'm just saying it. God, It's great.
0: I I still regularly put pink and black together because of, um, partially
1: because of uh, Bret. Damn right, damn right. Same, actually. Same. (laughs) (laughs) so with that it is time to end this episode, I don't know I enjoyed this one chaps, I don't know about you (laughs) I enjoyed it thank you my man, thank you I really did enjoy this one as well and as I said, wasn't as in depth but then again, this is sweet chin wag when is anything ever in depth we go off on tangents real (laughs) so, next episode as a little kind of like side piece uh, an entree if you will to this Bret Hart retrospective. We're gonna do an episode and a retrospective next week on Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. Oh my. I want my title shot. When am I getting more title shot when well, it's next week? Cause I'm bizarre. <laughs> 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 Mele, all I'm gonna say is this: for what you just, what you just sent us, make that the official image you post when this episode goes out. <laughs> of course. <laughs>
0: that is coming up next week. But until that's then, gonna be, that's uh, gonna be a banger. That's gonna be such a <laughs> banger.
1: I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Melee, and you've been listening to the Sweet Chipmunk Podcast. As always, we will see you on the next one. Bye, everybody. Bye bye. Support your voice actors. Bye-bye.